Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods. And before our episode starts, I just would like to thank all of you that have supported our uh, Revelation Revolution uh, podcast. We're uh, up over 5,400 uh, downloads and listens. And I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you. It means so much uh, to my wife and I, my wife Shantia and I for you guys to support us. And I just want to give a shout out to the different places around the world that are listening uh, to our podcast. And the first, uh, uh, obviously, the United States, uh, but those that are in the UK, uh, we have listeners in England and Scotland. Those of you who are in Canada, we have listeners in Ontario, British Columbia, Quebec, Alberta, Saskatchewan, I know that probably didn't say that right, Manitoba, and Nova Scotia. Thanks for all you listeners in Canada. <laughs> From South Africa, we have KwaZulu Natal, uh, Gauteng, Western Cape, and M. Pulanga, uh, probably Pulanga, uh, and this, and forgive me if I mispronounce it, uh, from South Africa. Then we have from New Zealand, we have uh, listeners down there in Auckland. And so we, Auckland, thank you so much for being part of our listening audience. And then from Australia, we have listeners in Victoria. Western Australia, New South Wales, uh, Queensland, and South Australia. Oh, glory, glory to God. We are so, we, we are totally excited. And even from Portugal, we have listeners in Lisbon. And so I wanted to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart for supporting this ministry through listening. And I pray that you are getting blessed by it. Uh, I would love to hear from you. Uh, you could uh, email us at phdministries, the number 400 at att.net. That is phdministries400 at att.net. You can write us at uh, 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 Dennis Woods in care of Power of the Holy Ghost Deliverance Ministries and you could write uh, uh, send any uh, uh, donations if you would like to do that it's fine uh, or you'd like to communicate with us it's by uh, snail mail it's fine our post office box is post office box 1239 and that's Mattison that's M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N Illinois and the zip there is 60443. Again, if you want to send us, um, uh, uh, write us, that would be great. We'd love to hear from you. Our post office box is P.O. Box 1239, and that's Mattison, M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N, Illinois. The zip is 60443. I'm not going to be labored at time. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support in Jesus' name.
Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods. The greatest Christians the world has ever known, part two. Uh, we went over last uh, session. We talked about many things, but we ended up talking about the 24 elders. The 24 elders was a, is it was a necessary discussion because most pre-tribulationists, see, they use revelation to prove that the church is already in heaven and the other people that are left behind were the second class citizens that got cut off. They didn't make the rapture cut and they use all these things to prove a pre-trib rapture. That's why I had to take some time to deal with the 24 elders because that's one of the that's one of the breadcrumbs they they uh, lay in order to come up with a uh, to lead to a pre-trib conclusion. But of course, we do not hold to that uh, position at all. So let us continue. And let's go back to Revelation chapter number seven, verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said unto them, Sir, you know. So he, one of the elders, said unto me, said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's Revelation 7, verse 13. Now, it is unmistakable where this group comes from. The Bible says they came out of or through or came out of the great tribulation. Now, in order to understand the Great Tribulation, we now must go to Matthew 15, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22. And this is what the word of the Lord says. How it reads. Therefore, when you, this is Jesus talking, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand that we're uh, dropping down to verse 22, 21. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor will, nor ever will, unless those days have been sh cut short, no life would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be cut short. I read from you from the NASB. Now, let's read from the NIV, but let's go to Mark this time. Mark 13, 19, and 20. Because those days will of distress, because those will be days of distress 
unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Now I want you to understand Jesus called this the great tribulation. And we want to set the context for why all the pomp and circumstance was made about these people who are now in heaven who get the right to stand before God and serve him day and night. How did they get that honor? Because that's the highest honor you can get in heaven, ladies and gentlemen, is to be in God's presence. There is no honor higher than that. There is nothing greater than to be than God himself. Not even God can make something better than he is. You know, even in Hebrews, uh, uh, the Bible talks about because God could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. That by two immutable things, oh, glory to God, that Abraham, Abrahamic promise he made. Glory to God. So let me read that Mark passage again because it's powerful. He says, because those days, because those will be the days of distress, unequal from the beginning when God created the world. So we know we're going all the way back to Adam. Until now, in Jesus, up until Jesus' time, that means worse than Antiochus Epiphanes, worse than the 400 years in slavery, worse than everything from the Adam all the way to Jesus' day. Nothing in the history of humankind up to the point of Jesus, the tribulation will be worse than anything. Worse than the world was with the flood. Worse than Sodom and Gomorrah destruction. Worse than all of that. Just think about this. The great tribulation to be worse than all of them. So he says, because those days would be the days of distress unequal from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. In other words, when the great tribulation happens, it'll be so bad there'll be nothing ever like it even again and nothing to compare it to before. So you can't look at Israel's 400 years of slavery with Egypt and compare it. No, that's not good. Not even when they when Hanukkah was celebrated, or not celebrated, but the reason why the reason why Hanukkah was celebrated is because of what Antiochus Epiphanes did, and that was horrible what he did. It'll be worse than that. It'll be worse than seventy A.D. when the temple was destroyed and the great famine that occurred after the, after all of those things. I mean, I was just reading some of uh, uh, Eusebius's uh, ecclesiastical history. That famine that came after during the time of Titus when he went and destroyed it was horrible. I mean, people were eating each other. Women, they eating their babies. They was killing each other. Dead bodies thrown all in the street. People were not, people were not buried. It's horrible. Oh my God. Th those, those people went through something. 
Worse than what happened with the Jews and Hitler. Worse than World War One. Worse than World War Two. Worse than the atom bomb being dropped. Worse than World War uh, uh, the Korean War. Worse than all of the, the 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 Holocaust, where six million Jews were slaughtered. Worse than all of that in history, ladies and gentlemen. The Great Tribulation is going to be the worst thing. But out of the worst thing during the darkest time in history are produced the greatest group of Christians that the world has ever known. So this is why in heaven they were asking, who are these people? Man, they're sitting there right in front of God. <laughs> they're serving him day and night. Who are these folks? And what are they doing there? He says, therefore, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. And Jesus just told us what the great tribulation was. It's the worst time in human history and will never be repeated again. So now the book of Revelation takes on a whole new character. It, it, it's, it's oozing with meaning. It emphasizes what it says in the third verse. Blessed is he that readeth and keepeth the things and speaketh out loud the things written in this book. Blessed is he who reads it. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. This book was so important to God and so essential to future Christians that God said, I'm going to bless you just for reading it and keeping the things therein. This is a critically important book. It didn't, it didn't hardly mean anything to other Christians. Now the first century Christians, they did because he talks to seven churches there. There were people that was doing that time, yeah. But once you get past, well, you know, about the third century and all of that, where they, where they stopped talking about, see, after it was obvious that Jesus was not coming back in that generation, which most of those Christians during that time thought Jesus was coming back in that time. Once it was clear that that wouldn't happen to you, know, you, the, 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 you know, the, this serious discussion about end time prophecy kind of dropped off. Off. It picked up later on And it needs to pick up later on Because it didn't apply to any of them It didn't, it didn't apply to uh, saints In 1702 Or or 7 AD Or, or, or BC, uh, uh, CE or, or, or in the 5th century Or the 6th century Or the 7th century Or the 11th century The 13th century The 14th century It didn't make a difference to them people In the 16th century The 17th century the 20th century. Oh, but we're in the 21st century. Now Israel's in place. Things are starting to happen. We now need to wake up out of our sleep and start understanding what this highly inspired divine book is about. So the great tribulation will be a time of distress unequaled from the beginning. When God created the world until now, 
and will never be equaled again. But the New Testament isn't the only one that talks about this time of trouble. This is what it says in Jeremiah 30 verse 7. It says, Alas, for that, for that day is great, so that it is none like it. Listen to that. There's none like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Jacob is a metaphor here for Israel. Glory to God. Listen to what Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 says. And at that time Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of all nations until then. There it is again. The same thing. Let's look at Joel chapter number 2, verses 1 and 2. This is how it reads, KJV. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in the, in the holy mountains. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh, it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick clouds. As the morning spreads upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there have not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even till many generations. There it is again. You have all these witnesses, ladies and gentlemen. Speaking of the great tribulation, a time that cannot and will never again in history going back to Adam be repeated again. It's going to be that bad. Every catastrophe in human history will pale in comparison. And the planet has gone through some major stuff like being flooded out and killing everybody. Oh my God. The Great Tribulation will be very unique. There will never be another time of trouble like it in the history of the world. The worst time of trouble and distress that the world has ever seen. Worse than all of the world's calamities combined. No other generation has ever seen anything like what's coming. Because of the unique nature of the Great Tribulation, those who come through it or out of it are equally as unique. Let me say that again. Because of the unique nature of the Great Tribulation, those who come through it or out of it are equally as unique. In other words, there is no group of saints in the history of the world that has 
ever gonna that has gone through what the saints that are gonna come out of the great tribulation have gone through because there have never been a time of trouble that any other generation has ever gone through that could be compared with the great tribulation so since the great tribulation is so horrible that means the group of Christians that come out of it are on a level that no other group of Christians in the history of the world has gone through. The people who come out of this, ladies and gentlemen, are not some mamby-pamby, left-behinds, spaghetti-back Christians who miss the rapture cut. That is pre-trib propaganda. And it's that same type of attitude that has people not reading the book of Revelation because they say, oh, that don't apply to us. That's them other folk. No, it's not, ladies and gentlemen. That's because you've been given the Tim LaHaye line on who these people were. They didn't tell you this is the greatest group of Christians that ever lived. Why are they the greatest group? Because they come through the worst time that any, I don't care whether it's first, second, third century, through all of the, of the Caesars and all of the persecution that was done in the book of Acts and throughout church history, still being done to Christians today, the great tribulation to be worse than that. And you got people who will refuse to bow before Satan or the Antichrist and remain faithful to Jesus under those circumstances. No other group of Christians has ever gone through what these group is going to come to. That's why the Bible says, therefore, they stand before God. And that's why they were asking, who are these people? They were in heaven being shown off, displayed for everybody, before the angels and everybody. These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. They have status up here because of what they just went through. No other group of Christians in the history or believers in the history of the world can compare to what this group has just come out of. Because Jesus himself said, there's never been a time, nor will ever be, nor has there ever been, since the beginning of the world, worse than what these people just come through. And yet, they remain faithful unto the death. Because of the unique nature of the great tribulation those who come through it are equally as unique no other believers in all history have had to maintain their faith under the circumstances as will be found during the great tribulation hmm. now you know it's funny you know what's funny you know what the average Christian today who's been taught pre-trib 
this whole idea that oh we're gonna be gone before all the trouble starts. You know, you know what the main problem is? Let me just go through a few things. The primary reason today for t- t- today's Christians do not want to identify with the tribulation says you know what it is. Let me just go through some. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be a little facetious. I'm just gonna just say a few things here. It's not because the tribulation saints aren't saved. Because they are. They're in heaven before the throne of God. No question about it. It's not because they don't go to heaven and have eternal life. Because they do. (laughs) It's not because they are called blessed and holy. Because they are blessed and holy. That's what God calls them. Saints. They're the God's faithful believers. That's what he calls them. Not because their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Today's church Christians don't want to be identified with the tribulation saints. Not because they aren't in, they aren't in the first resurrection. Because they are in the first resurrection. But it's because the tribulation saints are here to be persecuted by the Antichrist. Dying for the faith is their deal breaker. Suffering is simply not in their calculus. You know, I can see if they were saying the ones left behind, they end up going to hell. Well, then that would that. The tribulation saints I'm talking about. Well, obviously, the people that get the mark of the beast, they, they, they are going. No two ways about it. I don't care what John MacArthur says. I don't care what kind of reasoning he uses. Talking about you, the people that are doing that time can take the mark of the beast and still be redeemed. He is a liar. And I'll call him a liar to his face if I see him. Him and Dr. Johnson. Both putting that crap out there. And people are going to listen to that and believe it. He, uh, Dr. Johnson, uh, he's at Masters University. He's one of the uh, people that does grace to you and does all this work and edits his, uh, Dr. Uh, MacArthur's books and all that stuff. You know, he's got a big position at Masters University, grace to you, whatever. He was on this one podcast not too long ago, just in uh, May, I think, May 2021, and they were giving all the reasons why, oh yeah, you can get the Mark of the Beast because the lady had him on because it was such a controversial thing that he said, and he still gave all his reasons. He gave all of his little field, nice, neat theological reasons, and that's fine, ladies and gentlemen. You can believe John MacArthur all you want, and as a matter of fact, when you stand before God, take the MacArthur commentary with you and say, God, see, let me get you right, right? here. John MacArthur said we could take this mark. See how that works for you. Ladies and gentlemen, you better not better not ignore the plain teaching of the Bible and trade it for some theological rambling by some educated idiot who would tell you you could take the mark of the beast and still be redeemed. It's an insult to God's word. It's an insult to the tribulation saints who are going to give their lives for Christ and not blink at it. Stand up Christians who face the Antichrist and his kingdom down and say, for Jesus I live, for Jesus I die. I will not bow. I will not get that mark. I don't care if it means I have to die. I don't care if it means I have to lose my money. 
lose my prestige, lose my job, lose taking my kids out of college, can't pay my bills. If it means I go destitute and starve to death, I would rather do that and take that mark and compromise and end up in hell forever. For Jesus I live, or Jesus I die. He shed his blood for me, I'll shed mine for him. That's the attitude we should have. And that's the attitude of the tribulation saints. There's nothing ever, ever, any dispersion cast on them at all in the book of Revelation. They are only characterized as people who remain faithful unto death and are called God's holy people and are seen standing in God's very presence with the honor of serving him in his temple day and night. That's not the place of some ramby, pamby, spaghetti back, cowardly Christian who compromises. And that's one of the things that the book of Revelation says. But the cowards and the whoremongers and all liars. The reason why it's got the cowards there, ladies and gentlemen, is because that's exactly what you'll be considered if you compromise and you take the mark of the beast. So you could keep some pork chops on your plate. And to keep paying your bills and to get keep pay, get, getting paid so you can buy a sale. But if you take that mark, you'll be selling your soul to Satan and you will go to hell. And you will pay for it by burning in the in hell fire forever and ever with no rest day or night. It is promised to those who take the mark. And it makes me sick that someone so prominent as John MacArthur would dare say to any saint, you could take that mark and still be redeemed and have hundreds of thousands of evangelicals believe that lie. We quote this scripture all the time, but I don't believe we believe it. When Paul asked this question in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation First thing he puts there is tribulation. Pretty sure goes, well, that's not technical tribulation, eschatological tribulation. That's just tribulation in general. That's all tribulation. Give me that double theological double talk. Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or the peril, or the sword. The sword represents death, ladies and gentlemen. Getting your head cut off. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are, account are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's... That's been Christians all through the ages, Christians today that are being martyred in these other countries other than America. Because, you know, in America, we just think the, uh, the church is just like all of the whole world. All Christians are like it is in America. We all they all got nice, beautiful churches and we got all this stuff going on. It's not like that is Christians getting their heads cut off and dying now for the faith. There are countries where they'll lock you up for having a Bible. Paul says, verse 37 says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that love us. 
as I am persuaded that neither death nor life. If Antichrist walked in the room now, all he could do is kill you. He can't kill you no more deader than being in a car accident or what cancer can do. We're all going to die anyway, except for those that are caught up in a rapture. All of us got a death appointment that you're, and you're going to keep your appointment. We're all going to die. Glory to God. See, with God, the way you, well, in some, in a lot of cases, in a lot of cases, the way you die is not the issue. There's a many a good Christian who die in car accidents. There's a many good Christians who die the painful death of cancer. There's a many good Christians who have Alzheimer's and don't remember their name or Jesus' name or nobody. Believers, these things happen to believers as well. Man, we need to get our head out of the clouds. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities of power nor things present nor things to come. Now when Paul says things to come, he's talking about eschatology. There's nothing in eschatology that can separate you from the love of God. And not either Antichrist, not Satan, not the false prophet, nor death, nor height. Nor height or death, nor any other created thing. Paul says, in case I miss one, any other created thing, she'll be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, you can't be separated from it. I don't care if it's a thousand antichrists. Don't make a difference. So why are we worried about it? Why are we worried about if we were still here? Oh, I compromise. Yeah, because your faith is contingent upon being a comfortable Christian. You didn't be you, you didn't sign up for the tribulation. You didn't sign up for the persecution. You didn't sign up you, that it could cost your life. Long as you can go to Sunday school, take communion, and and go to your Easter parades and Christmas pageants and Easter plays and all of that and dress up in our nice clothes. But Christianity is deeper than that, ladies and gentlemen. Our walk with Christ means more than the clothes we wear. And if your Christianity is based on those things, then soon as they go, there goes your Christianity. This is why Paul said there's going to be a great falling away that happens. Let me just read something to you. I'm going to get off script here just for a minute. I want to go to John uh, Matthew chapter 24 verses 9 and 10. But let's do this in the NIV. Listen to what Jesus said. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes, in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Verse number nine. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Listen to what he's saying here. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Jesus prophesied it. This is the same thing that Paul said. There comes a falling away first. Jesus said it. People are going to fall away. That's from the NIV. Glory to God. That version. Others read slightly different, but it's the same thing. Jesus said it. They're going to put some of y'all to death. And he says, soon as you do, you're going to abandon the faith. You're going to turn coward and run. So since the tribulation is going to be so bad, this is what God did. He put it in the Bible so we could read about it. 
Read about the signs that come. Read about all the things that's going to go down. Read about what Antichrist is going to do. So your faith and we will be built up. But because of pre-trib, we've been told, oh, that don't apply to y'all. No, the restrainer is the church and he's going to be gone. Just go to my go to my other uh, podcast before these two and listen to this. Listen to that one. Glory to God. It's a rehash on all this restrainer theory, the stuff that they told people. That has them believing that the, the, the Holy Spirit in the church is going to be taken before the Antichrist is revealed. They got them believing that whole narrative. And we're going to be gone before the Antichrist gets here. Based off of a theory that a guy that can't even be proven with the Bible. That John Nelson Darby bought that stuff over to the United States in the, eight, the early 1900s. I'm not saying he's the only one that came up with a dispensational premillennial idea. I didn't say that. I said the dispensationalism that came to America came by John Nelson Darby. He's the one who said that the church in the, the Holy Spirit in the church and the church and the Holy Spirit together are the restrainer. He didn't have any scripture to back it up because Paul didn't say who it was. Go to my other podcast. You'll learn all about it. Glory to God. So let's go back to our text. Revelation seven thirteen through 17 NIV. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, because they just came out of the tribulation, because they washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just stop right there. Do you know Moses asked God? He said, God, can I just see you? God said, Listen, you can't look at me and live. He said, This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk by you, I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to let you see my backside. Just God walking by Moses and letting him see his backside. The glory of God was transferred from God to Moses. And Moses' face shined with such brilliance that he had to put a veil over his face. Because people were scared to look at him. Now I want you to think about that. Think about that. The glory of God. So powerful and great. It would kill a human being just to be in front of it. Just to look at his face would kill you. I want you to think about that. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. But these who came out of the Great Tribulation, 
day are before his throne, day and night, they get to serve God in his very temple. Their position in heaven is beyond that of somebody with just a mansion on a gold street in heaven. Now, I'm not trying to minimize anything in heaven at all. But these are in God's presence and get to serve him. Why? Because this group of Christians has just come out of a time that no other Christian in the history of of the world has ever come through. And so brother and sister, they get prestige that not everybody in heaven, even heaven itself will have. Verse number 16, and never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them. Nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the thorn will be their shepherd. Stop right there. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the good shepherd. Mm. And that's what Jesus told all believers of the church age. That he's a good shepherd. Mm. He will lead them the springs of living water. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now try to correlate this testimony of these saints with the pre-trib narrative that oh these were the left behinds and they got to get their head cut off to prove their loyalty. Where does it say that? Where are we getting that from? We're getting that from a traditional position that promised that the church was different than these people. That these people are left behind. That's not why revelation is in the Bible. God is communicating to a generation of church saints that's going to go through the worst time in history. So therefore, since there's nothing to compare it to, God did something even better. He sent John into the future to tell you all about it so you'll know about it before it get here. Now, how much better can you get than that? If you're that generation of Christians, uh, there's a few points to ponder. The tribulation saints are in white robes. Revelation 7.13. Revelation 7.14 says they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, serve Him day and night. It's the highest honor in heaven. It's to be in God's presence. You know, it's interesting how even David said one in Psalm 27, uh, verse number four. One thing have I desired of the Lord and I will seek thereafter that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my whole life and behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David understood it. It's the greatest thing. David didn't say one thing. Oh, life boils down to two things. Give me a house, a good wife, a good career. No, he didn't go there. 
Give me money. Give me prestige. David said it all boils down. He said one thing. One thing. You can have all that other stuff. One thing about his heart. It all boils down to one thing. To serve God in his temple. Just think of that. To be able to do that. Now, I'm going to just take a brief detail here. Let's, let's go to Luke. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Reading from the NASB. When John the Baptist was going to be born, Zechariah and Elizabeth says, Zechariah said unto the angel, you know, Gabriel has already come. Told him, say, you know, you, your wife's going to have a baby. It's going to be named John the Baptist and all that, you know, whole, nine, whole story there. And so Zacharias comes up with this brilliant idea. He's going to question Gabriel. We're going to see how that worked for him. Uh, verse number 18. Zacharias said unto the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said unto him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I have been sent. To speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in its proper time. Now, I, I, let, I, let me just go to a, one of my favorite preachers. Let me go to his commentary, uh, Dr. Tony Evans. He got a nice commentary. It's, a, it's not a real technical commentary. It's, it's designed for the average believer. And, and, and I think I, I must commend him for that. Because you, 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 you have some commentaries out there that are so technical, uh, you, you, know, you, you can't even read them. You know, you, you, you strain reading through the things, but he's got a very good practical. This is what Tony Evans says. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to you to speak to you to tell you this good news. So in other words, the visitor said, I am no third rate heavenly messenger. I am an angelic spokesman who serves in the divine presence. God himself sent me and you and yet you don't believe me? That's how Tony Evans was. He going like, dude, have you lost your mind? You are questioning my authority and the veracity of God's word. So in other words, are you saying that the fact that you and your wife are advanced in years could prohibit the power of God to make your wife have a baby. You want a sign? I'm gonna give you one. You're not gonna be able to talk till the baby come out. Now you want you want a sign? He talking about how will I know? In other words, that was a backdoor way someone show me a sign. Okay, I'm gonna give you one. It's gonna be the sign I can't talk. <laughs> I can't say nothing else. That's your sign. Are you kidding me? I stand in the presence of God. What Gabriel is saying, the presence of God, that's it. That's the highest you can get. Even for an angel. And so Tony Evans picks that whole idea up. He says, I ain't no third rate angel. <laughs> I ain't no third rate heavenly messenger. And I, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know how they rank them. 
in heaven, you know, I, I ain't going to pretend. And, oh, I know you got archangels and just other people, other angels that do other stuff. Listen, he's saying, uh-uh, that ain't me, dude. I stand in the presence of God. You better, you better need to take very seriously what I tell you if God said it. I stand in his presence. So now, let's look at some of the promises that were made to that was See, what I'm doing, the reason why I'm going through all this. I'm trying to show you that a lot of the attributes that pre-trib and people who think that the church is gone by this point, the, the reasonings behind what they're saying is they're saying that this is the left behind group. But what I'm doing now is I'm showing you that some of the same promises that were made to the church were made to some of these people. Because the conclusion I'm getting to is, is this is the church. It is a last generation of church saints. I am saying that the Christians that face the Antichrist is the church. The church hadn't been raptured. Up in the, not, not, not during the time of Antichrist. But it'll be sometime after that. And we're going to, hopefully we'll get to that to the, to, in this lesson. I'm going to show you right, I'm going to take you right to it. Glory to God. The revelation is in the book, the rapture is in the book of Revelation, ladies and gentlemen. I know people tell you it's not. I know they do. But that's because they have a doctrine and a position to protect. And even though Revelation speaks clearly on this, the issue of the rapture in Revelation, they ignore it. They give it some other kind of frivolous meaning saying it doesn't apply to the church because the word church isn't found, which is a stupid argument. Of course, they never tell you that the word church isn't found in seven other epistles in the New Testament. They leave that part out. Because it's really not a good argument. Promises made to the seven churches. Look at look at one of the promises that was uh, some of the promises that were made to these churches. The church of Sardis. It says, "Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. For the one who is victorious, like them, will be dressed in white. And I will never blot his name out of that person from the book of life." He told the church of Sardis, they're going to be able to walk with him in white. Well, guess what? The tribulation, saints, glory to God, are standing before God, serving God in white. Same promise he gave to them, same promise to these people. Maybe this not a difference. It's the same promises. Revelation, 11, Revelation 3, 11 and 12, the church of Philadelphia. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He says, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Listen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Wait a minute. Didn't it just say the tribulation saints are going to be in God's presence and serve him day and night in his temple? In his temple. Well, wait a minute. That's what he told the church of Philadelphia. There'll be pillars in my temple. They're going to serve him. Hmm. So, let's look at this. The church of Sardis, Revelation 3, 4, and 5, was promised that they would be dressed in white in heaven. The tribulation saints, Revelation 7 and 9, are in heaven seen dressed in white robes. Interesting. The church is washed in the blood of the Lamb. You can read that at 1 Peter verse, uh, uh, 1, 19, 1 John 1 and 7. Revelation 1 and 5. Hey, but the tribulation saints are washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
Revelation 14. Same promises, same thing. Maybe it's not a different group. The church of Philadelphia was promised that they would be pillars in the temple of, of his temple and never leave it again. The tribulation saints will serve God in his temple day and night and perpetually be in his presence. Interesting, right? Listen to what happens in Revelations 2, 8 through 10 at the church of Samaria. This is written to the church. Write to the write to the angel of the church of Smyrna. Write, these are the words to him which is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Notice he makes the point who died and came alive again. It's interesting how he makes that point because guess what he's about to tell them? I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid. Of what you are about to suffer. He says I tell you. The devil will put some of you in a prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you, the, I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now Jesus didn't say, "Oh, look, I ain't gonna let you. I'm not gonna let that happen to you. I'm not gonna let you die." And this is the church he's talking to. The church of Smyrna. He's talking to them. He didn't say, "Oh, I'm gonna send Michael to get you out. They're gonna break you out just like we did Paul and Peter. Oh, I'm gonna rescue you." He said, "No, the devil gonna lock some of y'all up in prison, and guess what? You gonna die there." He said, "But be faithful to death. I give you the crown of life." See, to some Christians, that ain't good enough. No, Jesus, I don't want to go through none of that. See, you would tell Jesus, no, uh-uh, not me, Lord. That's the kind of Christianity we have today. And we said, no, let that happen to somebody else. Not me, Lord, uh-uh. You know, I'm your favorite little girl. I'm your favorite guy. I'm your favorite son. You wouldn't let that happen to me. He let it happen to Jesus. The Bible said it pleased God to bruise him. To make his soul an offering for sin. That's a far cry from what we're taught in our churches today. Look at what the Lord says. <laughs> in Revelation 6, 9-11, listen to this. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony which they maintained. And they called out to him in a loud voice saying, How long, O sovereign God, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And to each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little while longer until the full number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, God knows every one of the people who are going to give their life for Christ and they are highly esteemed. Their souls are even seen under the altar. That's for the place of sacrifice, not on it, but under it. Glory to God, because those are their all martyrs. These are all people who bled for Jesus and were faithful unto the death. They're given a special place in heaven. And God has told them, he said, listen, we can't go back and get our revenge until the rest of y'all die. He said, I know the last one of y'all. He said, we got to wait for the last one. Why? Because when he catches everybody up in the rapture, they all have to be. This is what Paul talking about until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Listen, this is not going to happen. God says he has to wait. 
to avenge the blood. When does he do that? Revelation 19, when Christ come back, he going he gonna, he gonna to get him blood to drink. That blood's going to flow six feet deep for 180 miles. Two-edged sword to proceed out of his mouth. The saints are going to be there with him. They're going to be on white horses. That's why he said they had to wait. The full number comes back with them. Revelation is a roadmap, ladies and gentlemen, for end time church. For the end time church. This isn't some mamby pamby Christian stuff. So now when we look at Revelation from particularly from chapter two and chapter three, we are, we have the seven churches that were in Asia Minor that were addressed. Started with Ephesus, ended with Laodicea, goes right on the courier route. They're in that order because if you if you came in through the harbor at Ephesus, which was known for its harbor, got off the boat, you went through the courier route, you hit Ephesus, and then you went all the way around to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, you would end up at Laodicea. That's why they are in the order they're in. Many of the uh, topographical, geographical issues that were going on in the cities spiritually was almost correlated to what was going on in the church. Glory to God. For example, Ephesus's glory had faded because its harbor was silting. That means the the it wasn't as deep as it was because the the silt from the ocean deposits on the bottom. Then the boats can't get in there. It, it, today, what we're, that's called is dredging. You have to dredge it out. You have to dig out the bottom so the boats can continue to come in. Well, they didn't know how to do that back then. So when as the the harbor filled in, the uh, Ephesus began to as a city began to lose its importance and its glory because the trade was cut off. But it was just like the church at Ephesus had lost their first love and their fervor had died. It's interesting, right? So, but these are some of the things, the topographical, geographical things that were going on with the cities. Also, the church had similar things that were going on. So, by the time now we get to we leave Revelation Two and three, which addressed seven specific churches, pre-trib makes that symbolic to represent the age of the church. There's nothing in the text that says that these were seven actual churches. Pre-trib says the the the, the, the church that we are, the church is going to be raptured because of uh, 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 Revelation three ten. Uh, the, I'll keep you from that hour, and they say that's the rapture. The word rapture isn't there. There's nothing about being caught up. There's nothing in that text at all that says the rapture. But that's what they read into it, and they make Philadelphia the church is going to be raptured, and they make Laodicea the carnal church is going to be left behind. It's just stupid stuff. That they just, look, it's something a theologian cooked up and he sells books and they, they put it in and teach this stuff in, in, in seminary. And the pastors bring it to you and say, we got it all figured out. Dr. Walvoord MacArthur, this one, that one said this and that's how it is. We're done with it. I'm going to teach you what they tell, gave me in school and we're going to leave eschatology alone and not talk about it no more. That's how, it, that's how things have gotten the way they've gotten. That's how that, that's how it goes, okay. Now, so when we leave Revelation two and three, glory to God. Then we and we follow or retrack through the tribulation saints. Well, they're introduced to us as a great multitude. 
Then we get more information about them. One of the things that I want to uh, show you about the tribulation saints before we get to Revelation 13, here's one of their characteristics. We want to show you something here. This is what the Bible says. Glory to God. Uh, Revelation chapter 10, uh, uh, chapter 12, uh, verse number 10, it says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brother and sisters who accuses him before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's the NIV. Let me read it in the NASB. It says, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how do you get a mamby-pamby skabetis spaghetti back Christian who didn't make the rapture cut who is now willing and has the fortitude to forsake the mark of the beast forsake the wealth of this world forsake the prestige of this world forsake their freedom forsake everything even their lives and then you walk away saying this is the second class citizens that didn't make the rapture cut. The book of Revelation gives no such betrayal of these people ever. It's only showed in the light and the glory of their accomplishments coming through the tribulation. And now we get to the bottom of their character. They refuse to bow to the Antichrist. These are Christians with fortitude. If you were so loose, mamby-pamby before the rapture according to them, there's no way you're going to find a backbone in the worst time in human history. But you didn't make the rapture cut. It doesn't even make sense. But pre-trib was forced to say that about these people because if they taught the church is gone already, how is it that you still have saints with fortitude still on the earth? You got to make it a second group or else your theory doesn't work. So you categorize these people as other than the church. Based on the fact that you say the Holy Spirit is the restrainer and the church that has to be taken before the Antichrist can be revealed. And the point you make from that is, if the Holy Spirit is gone, he's no longer baptizing people into the body of Christ. Therefore, they can be Christians, but they can't be a part of the church. So somebody who has believed a doctrine that was cooked up by, by uh, uh, a tenet of a doctrine cooked up by John Nelson Darby and typecasted into to make people think that the church and the Holy Spirit was the restrainer that was being talked about in the Bible when the beast himself is three parts. He's a man, he's a kingdom, and a beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. The Bible clearly says that the beast is a demonic principality that comes from the abyss. And the abyss is where he's locked up. The abyss is where he must be released from. And there are angels 
always referring to in a masculine gender who who there's an angel that has the key and the chain that restrains the beings doing time in the abyss even satan himself can be locked up in the abyss revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 verse number 7 of that same chapter calls the abyss a prison so if, if so, if the beast comes from that same place where Satan is going to be locked up, which the scriptures in Revelation 11, chapter 7 declare, and Revelation chapter 17, 7 and 8 declare, the beast ascends from the bottomless pit. If he comes out of the bottomless pit, you got to consider the bottomless pit is what's holding him down and where he is being restrained. The Bible never said the church was the restrainer, nor the Holy Spirit. God has angels for that. The Bible also says that the God does not give assistance to angels. You never find a scripture anywhere where God or Jesus or God the Father, the Holy Spirit or Jesus comes to the aid of an angel whenever they're dealing with these principalities. Never. Because he doesn't give them aid. He doesn't have to. He created them to be more powerful than they are. Then Pre-Trib comes up with the narrative, no one other than the Holy Spirit can restrain the devil. That's a lie. All you got to do is go to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, and you'll see an angel. One angel by himself comes down and restrains Satan. I challenged Dr. Walvoord and Dr. Pentecost on that. Dr. Pentecost said he didn't want to talk about it no more because I nailed his butt and I proved the restrainer was not the Holy Spirit. They got the whole church thinking this mess and then thinking that revelation doesn't have any application to the church. It does. These Christians, Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him, him being the devil. Because why? The blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. That's not some weak people who miss the rapture. You want me to believe that these people, just a little while prior to this scenario, was so carnal that they couldn't be raptured, but yet all of a sudden they find a backbone to, to even die for Christ. Where, where does that work? How does that work? That's a narrative you want us to believe. The tribulation saints are the most celebrated saints in the book of Revelation. And the reason why? Because of what they just came through. There's not another time like it in all of human history. So whoever comes through that just goes through the head of the line and they're seen serving God in his temple. They go straight to heaven. And they get the best heaven has to offer by being in the presence of God forever. That's, that's not the place of people who were so loose they couldn't catch the rapture. That's because at this point, the rapture hasn't happened yet, ladies and gentlemen. So let's go back to our lesson. So now when we pick the, these saints up, we saw them in heaven. Now they, that was a party. That was the ceremony. That's the celebration for them. Now, what Revelation doing is backtracking and taking you to how they got up to be, to, to be the ones that was in that scenario. Now you're seeing it in Revelation 13. Let's read it. And power was given to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. 
and it was given authority over every tribe people tongue and nation and all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world that's giving you the difference right there everybody on earth is going to worship the beast whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life and listen to what it said it was given power to wage war against God's holy people that's how the Bible characterizes these so-called tribulation saints they are characterized by the NIV as God's holy people now how do you get mamby pamby carnal Christians who got left behind out of that that's not who these people are that's the narrative dispensationalists and pre-trib people put on them because they have to explain how do you have all these saved people doing a tribulation after the church is gone well you got to come up with some doctrines you got to say that the church is the, is the restrainer of evil and God pulls the evil away well where did they get that from Paul didn't say that then they forget to tell you oh well the beast is on lockdown in a place called a prison in the abyss and they don't mention that's what's restraining him they don't mention that's the angel who does the restraining they leave all of that out see ladies and gentlemen when they were coming up with the restrainer theory they didn't use any of that information they left all that out of the equation I liken that to be a prosecuting attorney who is trying to convict a person and has evidence that he's not allowing the defense attorney to have so he can get a prosecution. Didn't tell everything. Didn't release everything. Dr. Pentecost and Dr. Warvolt, when I wrote them, I told them, y'all left that out. Why did you leave it out? Why didn't you tell the people that the beast is a demonic principality that's locked in a prison called the bottomless pit or the, or the abyss? Why didn't you tell them there's a restraining angel that has a chain and a key who can even restrain Satan himself by himself, not with any help? That's the same place that the beast comes from. Why didn't you tell people that? See, if you'd have told them that, they'd have understood the restrainer was not the church. Paul never said that. So now you got people thinking, oh, the church has to be gone before the Antichrist is revealed. The Antichrist is revealed when he signs the covenant. Well, that can't be true either because the Bible says the Antichrist only has 42 months, not 84 months, all seven years. He's only the beast three and a half years, ladies and gentlemen. Just because it's the same person don't mean he's in the role of the beast. When he's in high school, he won't be the beast. When he's in fifth grade, he won't be the beast. This ain't the movie Damien. You got 666 tattooed on his head. You got you to gotta get the comb and part his head. You can see the tattoo. And then he can kill people by looking at them. See, y'all watch too much TV. That's the problem. Revelation 13.7 from the uh, Christian Standard Bible. It was permitted or the Antichrist was permitted to mage, wage war against the saints. The English Standard Version said it, it was allowed to make war against the saints. So these saints that the, uh, God is talking about, the NIV calls them God's holy people. So it was permitted to make war against God's holy people. Well, who's doing the permitting? We're going to use John MacArthur here. Listen to what John MacArthur says. Antichrist will not be all talk. He will be also capable of decisive, deadly action. Once again, the text notes that the Antichrist can only do what he is given permission by the Almighty God to do, thus stressing that. God never relinquishes his absolute control over these events. Of course he doesn't because he's sovereign. He's in control of everything, whether we understand it or not.
control tornado in Kentucky or not. He's in control. Whether we understand it or not. Whether we are hurting when our loved ones die or not. We're all going to die. We're all getting out of here. The soulless sinner shall die. We have been given the death sins because we're human. The way out of it in eternity is the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb. Believing in Him, accepting Him, being born again, being sealed until the day of redemption, being baptized into the body. Verse number 8, it says, And all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. Glory to God. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whosoever hears, let him hear. Now listen to this. If anyone is to go into captivity, now this is what the Bible said. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now let me just put a footnote in here. Notice when you were in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, when it says, He whoever hears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, that's because he's addressing con churches, literal congregations, and literal churches like Antipas. Name people in these congregations, okay? Literal churches and literal congregations and literal cities during at that time during the first century. He's talking to actual churches. Fast forward to the book of Revelation. We are at least 2,000 years later and people are not being addressed within the context of a congregation. Now you are dealing and talking to Christians, the church, as it lives and interacts in society with an antichrist who's trying to kill them. The focus here is in congregations. That's why he's not talking, putting the church here. Preacher, it makes a big deal. See, that proves the church is gone. No, it don't prove the church is gone. He's just not talking to congregations anymore. Now he's talking to individuals who are being threatened with their lives. And so this is what he warns them. He said, whoever has ears, let him hear. Now it's whoever has them. Because the church is no longer a regionalized, localized thing. Now it's an international thing all over the world with millions of different Christians. You can't dress it. Oh, Church of Philadelphia, the Church of Chicago, the Church of Harvey, the Church of Gary, Indiana, the Church of Tedham, Nashville. Come on, now he's going to do all of that. Now he's talking to Christians in general because the Antichrist is here, now the Antichrist is making war with them. That's why he say whoever has ears. But listen to what he says, verse number 10. If anyone is to go into captivity, this is what God is telling them, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. Listen to the encouragement here. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. So basically what he is saying is, look, if this is what your lot is, if this is what I have determined for you, like I told the church of Smyrna, he says, the devil is going to throw some of you into prison. He said, look, I'm telling you now, he's going to do it. Be faithful unto death. I'm going to give you the crown of life. He's saying the same thing here. He said, if you're going to go into captivity, in captivity you go. Do not get your, uh, uh, talk about your second amendment of rights and try to kill as many troops as you can and all that. He said, don't do that. Do not resist. If it's time for you to go into captivity, you're going into captivity. If it's time for you to be killed with a sword, your head going to get cut off. You're going to die. And this is why he's saying this calls for patient endurance.
and faithfulness on the part of God's people because he's telling them what's going to happen ahead of time. So their faith won't wane. So this is what Jesus says in Luke 24. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. This is what he says. He says, I tell you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. He says, but I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear who him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You see what he's saying here? Don't fall for this narrative. Oh, we got to die. Oh, we get our head cut off. Oh, woe is me, woe is me. Jesus died. Paul died. Peter died. I was just reading in Eusebius how they threw James off a balcony. After he hit the ground, they went down there and beat his brains out. They say they literally say they dashed his brains out. They stoned Stephen. His brains was laying out on the ground too. Because that's what happened when you get stoned. Not them little pebbles. Rocks that'll crack your head open. Very brutal way to die. And they kept stoning you till you was covered literally in a tomb of stones. Imagine 50 people all with bricks aiming for your head. This is how people died, ladies and gentlemen. But these, these saints didn't shriek back from that. These are these ones, oh, they claim, oh, they, they, they wasn't living right, so God, 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 let them go through tribulation. Wait, if you wasn't living right before the rapture, but bro, you sure ain't going through this. That's, see, that's the crazy narrative, and us American Christians, we're falling for it. See, when you believe you're the restrainer of evil, then you can do something like January 6th. Because you think you have been commissioned by God to restrain evil. So evil is whatever you say it is. And these people are inspired by a liar. An immoral liar. And because they feel that we're, we're white evangelicals and we're evangelicals and we get to determine we are the restrainer. We are the restrainer of evil. And so we got to go back and stop the steal. We'll even take over the white. We'll stop the process of this nation from rightfully legally electing a president because we are the restrainer of evil and we get to say and if we want to kick down the Capitol door and go in there and Take over the country and stop the steal and rightly put our king back in place. Then we are the restrainer of evil and we shall do so. That's why when they broke into the Capitol Rotundra, broke into the Senate chambers, they kneeled and had prayer and thanked Jesus for the white light. I don't know where they get the white light from. But they knelt and prayed because they thought they were stopping something evil. That's the problem with thinking you're the restrainer. You restrain what you say is evil. And then you end up perpetrating the very lawlessness that Paul said would be characteristic of our day. Don't you just look at them rioters in the cities. That was lawlessness too. But look at your own lawlessness that you have been doing in this nation ever since you've been here.
And the, and the people we call white evangelical Christians are descendants from the Protestant Christians who believed in slavery and kept that system of repression going for centuries. It wouldn't even allow a black man to even be saved or come into a congregation because you didn't want to treat him like a brother. Why? Because you believe the narrative of this constitution who said all men are equal. That's why you considered blacks is property because they weren't considered men. Let me get off that horse. Glory to God. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 24, 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for the soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And he will reward each person according to what they have done. The exact same words Jesus gave in Revelation twenty-two twelve. 12. He says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Same words. Glory to God. After we get the angelic warning about those who get the mark of the beast going to hell. I, did, I spent a whole episode on that passage. Then after that angel says that, verse number 12, Revelation chapter 14. said, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep the commandments, who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. We have, that's uh, Revelation 14, 12. We have to remember, these people are being remaining faithful to Jesus under the worst circumstances the world has ever known. During the great tribulation. So God sends angels. And encourages these people. Through the Bible. And through whatever means he chooses at that time. I believe there will be some great testimonies of survival. And miracles. Then verse number 13 says. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying. Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes. Says the spirit. They will rest from their labor and their deeds do follow them. Now this is very interesting ladies and gentlemen. First of all. How are people dying in Christ? I thought the Holy Spirit was gone by this point. And I thought he had stopped baptizing people into his body. Well, now you have the Holy Spirit himself, the comforter himself. You know, you get a lot of people saying, oh, what comfort would it be if we were still going to be here by the, by the uh, time the Antichrist is being here? How comforting would the rapture be at that point? And all that. It, this is how comforting. You got the comforter himself giving the people comfort. Saying, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. You got the comforter himself. That's the comfort that they get. God himself speaking to them. And why is the Holy Spirit saying it? Because it's the Holy Spirit who baptizes Christians into the body. That's why it says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. That's in Christ, ladies and gentlemen. 
Who said the Holy Spirit was gone? Who said the Holy Spirit wasn't doing this? Who said the Holy Spirit stopped baptizing people in the body? How else do you die in Christ? That's why the Bible says he shall come from heaven and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Why do you think the Holy Spirit is talking here? Why do you think he's giving encouragement for those who are going through the worst time in Christian history, in the history of the world, but they're remaining faithful to Christ under those circumstances? And the circumstances are so bad to where you got the Holy Spirit himself that got into it. The Holy Spirit doesn't even talk in Revelation, but two times here and at the end. In uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether slaves are free, we have all been made to drink of one spirit. When it says drink of the Holy Spirit, it goes all the way back to the day of Pentecost when the spirit was poured out upon all flesh. You pour it out, you drink from it. Jesus says, uh, I got a water that no, no man knows about. He told the lady at the well, Glory to God that had the five husbands. He said, there's a water. There's another water. He said, you drink this water, you'll be thirsty again. He said, but I got a water you can drink that springs up in you a well to eternal life. He was talking about the Spirit of God. Eternal life through the Spirit. That Spirit that you drink of. That's why the Bible said it was poured out. Glory to God, you drink from that. Isn't this good? So then you see the tribulation saints. These are the tribulation saints, the Holy Spirit talking to them, guaranteeing them they're going to go to heaven. Call God's holy people, encouraging them. Where do you see Mamby Pamby left behind? Was so sinful a minute ago, they missed the rapture, but, but under the worst circumstances in the world. Not the most favorable circumstances where people today get saved under. No, the worst circumstances in the world. But yet, we're supposed to believe these are Mamby Pamby Christians who, who was too loose to, to make the rapture, but now they find some fortitude somehow to stand up to the worst time in history. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just a stupid thing to believe it's dumb glory to God Revelation 14 14 I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like the son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand then another angel came out of the temple and called with a loud voice to him was seated on the cloud, seated on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. That's Revelation 14, 14 through 16. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. Jesus comes down on a cloud just like he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a voice and a shout of the archangel this is what happened in Revelation Jesus is sitting on a cloud an angel shouts to him from heaven get your harvest that's the voice of the archangel he's on a white cloud so when he gets his harvest, so when it's reaped, then he takes his sickle and he reaps. 
gets his harvest. Now Luke 10 2, he said he told them that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to his harvest. But he also said in Mark uh, 13 uh, 32, he says, But the day, but about that day, or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now listen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't it just so happens that the Son is sitting on a cloud waiting for a command from heaven to reap, and he doesn't reap until he's given the order from heaven through the, through the angel? Evidently that comes from God the Father. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? That means Jesus didn't know the time. He had to wait on the cloud. You see, the Word of God explains itself. You don't have to, don't have to trip. Theologians racking their brains out. Oh, how does he know and don't know? He uses the, Jesus uses divine prerogative not to know. Just like God says, I will put your sins in a sea of forgetfulness and I will remember them no more. God can do that if he wants. He can use his divine prerogative not to know and wait it on his Father to do it. Jesus uses divine prerogative not to raise himself from the dead. He already had the commandment that he could do it. But he completely divested himself from that. And this is why it says in Romans, if you would, if, if you, you would confess the Lord Jesus and believe in that heart, that God has raised him from the dead. He didn't raise himself from the dead. He had the power to do it, but he divested himself of using it. Divine prerogative. He can do that. He said, I can lay my life down and I can take it up again. He says, this is a commandment I received from my father. But he didn't take his own life back up again. God raised him from the dead. He trusted his father to do it. Now, there's some more reapers. Revelation 14, 18, and 19. Some more reapers come. Still another angel who had charge of fire came from the altar and called out with a loud voice to him that had a sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because his grapes are not right. And the angel swung his sickle on the earth, not over the earth, and gathered its grapes and threw them into the winepress of God's wrath. Now wait, ladies and gentlemen, it's two different harvests. The second harvest goes into the wrath of God. The first harvest, you don't see, you don't hear where it goes. All you know, Jesus comes down on a cloud. The, uh, the angel yells from him from heaven. He gets from he gets his harvest, and then you don't hear anything else. So the question is, hmm, what happened to the so-called tribulation saints? Where did they go? Revelation 15, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm closing with this. And I saw in heaven another great sign. Another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, glowing with fire, standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name and they held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb great and marvelous are your deeds 
Lord God Almighty. And one of the four living creatures gave unto the seven angels seven bowls filled with the wrath of God. And the temple was filled with the smoke of their glory of God. And from his power no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now ladies and gentlemen, in Revelation 13, we saw the tribulation saints going through, getting killed by the Antichrist. Revelation 7, we saw them being celebrated in heaven. 7 is Revelation 13. Revelation 7 actually comes after Revelation 13. Revelation 7 is part of the Revelation 15 scenario. And then it is picked up again in Revelation 20. The tribulation saints are in heaven before the angels that have the wrath of God in them are even dispatched to pour out the bowls of wrath on the earth. God pulled them up to heaven. This is because the Holy Spirit in Revelation 14 has just, has just confirmed. Hold on. Don't get the mark of the beast. Those who die in the Lord are going to be blessed. He promised him. He said, your works is going to follow you. The next thing we see after that, the Son of Man comes down on the cloud, gets his harvest. The other groups get their harvest, but they get thrown into the wrath of God. You don't hear about Jesus' harvest, but guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Revelation 15 answers the question. They were pulled into heaven before the wrath of God was even poured out on the earth. What that means is these saints were not appointed to the wrath of God because they're in heaven before God even sends the angels that has the pour out their bowls on earth. So let's look at this and then we're going to close. The word of God can't be denied, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care how you try to put your doctrines. Let's read Revelation 15 1 again. One more time. From the NASB, he says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had the seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Okay? So we know we're talking about the wrath of God. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast, over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on a sea of glass, holding harps of God. They're up there singing and everything, and they got a song and everything. They're in heaven. The angels that have the bowls of wrath, which are going to be poured out in Revelation 16, are still in heaven and haven't even left yet. So we've always been told that the tribulation saints aren't raised to Revelation 20. That's not true. They are raised and in heaven before God even sends the wrath. Now, I know that messes up, preacher. I know it does. I, I know that causes problems. But you can't have it both ways. These saints are in heaven before, before the angels are even sent. In Revelation 16, let's go to Revelation 16, 1. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple, saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God.
So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became it became a loathsome, malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. Let's get back to John MacArthur for a minute. So if you listen to John MacArthur, that means, and you take the mark of the beast, that means you live through the wrath of God. And that means you are thrown into the wine press of the wrath of God. God already said the church ain't appointed to wrath. So if you're in the wrath of God, that means you're not a part of the church. The Bible also says if you take the mark of the beast, your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible also says when the bowls of judgment are poured out, the very first one is going to give Everybody that has that mark, an ugly cancerous sore, that mark is going to be on your right hand or your forehead. So that means your face is going to break out with a malignant, ugly sore from God. So you know it ain't nothing nice. All of this happens after the saints that are called God's holy people were pulled up into heaven after the Son of Man in Revelation 14 gets his harvest. And then this is what begins to happen on the world after these people are seen in heaven. Then those angels are dispatched to pour out the wrath of God on the world. Now, isn't it just so happens to be such a coincidence that the tribulation saints are seen in heaven before the wrath of God is poured out on earth? But wait a minute. Isn't that the same thing God promised the church? Isn't that the same thing that we're not appointed to wrath? Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we need a revelation revolution. But before I go, I'm going to mess you up one more time. You know, I got to mess y'all up. Revelation chapter 11. Listen to this. The seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel sounded. There was a loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Ooh, listen to this. Verse number 18. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. This is so good. I love it. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came. See, under the seventh trumpet, ladies and gentlemen, this is where it all breaks down. The seventh trumpet encompasses all these things. See, the seventh trumpet lasts a long time. Glory to God. But when the seventh trumpet blows, something happens. And this is, so So the scenario that I'm about to read now, see how Revelation, Revelation is written like this. Whatever theme is being talked about, it shows you everything connected with that theme. So now the theme is the seventh trumpet. So there's several things that happen with the seventh trumpet. There's announcement made in heaven. The kingdoms of this Lord becomes the kingdoms of his Lord and of his Christ. Then it also kicks in the wrath of God. So the wrath of God, it doesn't happen all at one time because the seventh trumpet is spread out. It's, it's a, the mystery of God is completed. You know, I've got teachings on that. You know, the mystery of God comes in. And the last mystery, ladies and gentlemen, is the rapture itself. Glory to God. All right? But listen to this. <laughs> it says, And the nations were angry. Your wrath is come. And the time 
for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bond servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and to destroy them who destroy the earth. So while the wrath of God is being unleashed on the earth, it is at the same time that the dead saints are being raised and rewarded. And it just so happens this happens during the seventh trumpet, which is the last trumpet. So the seventh trumpet blows and, th th and it shows the dead in Christ. Here it shows the uh, uh, it shows the dead, the dead ones, because this is a resurrection. The saints, them that fear their name, small and great. The seven trumpets is the last trumpet. You can't get that wrong if you wanted to. But Revelation 14, that's from heaven, how it goes on. The fact that the trumpet is blown, it opens the door for the things that happen in Revelation 14. So Revelation 14 is happening under the auspices of the seventh trumpet, but the Revelation 14 shows you the details of it from the heavenly perspective, uh, from Christ's perspective on the cloud. But when the seventh trumpet blows, it's showing you from another perspective, the same thing, but different. How the wrath of God kicks in. Glory to God. But this is also the time of the dead. How does God raise dead judge, reward dead saints? He's got to raise them. This is where the, the dead receive their rewards. And it came time for the dead to be judged. The time to reward, reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and to them that fear your name, small and great. And to destroy those who destroy the earth. So you got two different things that happen under the during the time of the seventh trumpet. You got wrath of God poured out on the world. You got dead saints being raised to be rewarded. Same thing with Revelation 14. You had the the wrath being poured out on the world because you had the 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 harvest. It was just showed you from the same thing from another perspective. This one was from the the perspective of the harvest. You had the harvest of the wicked, and you also had the harvest of the righteous. But after that, you saw the wrath of God being poured out. The same thing that happened in the seventh trumpet. The announcement of heaven is made. The kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Then the dead are raised during that last trumpet. But at the same time, the wrath falls after that. The same thing. We're not appointed to wrath in either situation. I told you I was going to mess you up with that one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why it is necessary to have a revelation revolution. God bless you and keep you. Continue to pray. Listen, if you want to support this ministry, if you if you if you really really enjoyed this, reach out to me. You can you can email me phdministries.com. 
400.att.net. If you want to support our ministry, we are 501c3, Power of the Holy Ghost Deliverance Ministries. You can do that if you want us to come out and teach. I've got all sorts of material in this podcast. Uh, if you want to call us, our, our 800 number is 877-267-7477. Go ahead and reach out to us if you want to donate, if you have any comments, want us to come out and speak. We'd love to hear from you. Listen, thank you for joining the Revelation Revolution. We'll see you next time in Jesus' name. You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.